So to actually get an idea of what the essence of tweed, of this tweed suit, this folk kilt, this Englishman's kilt really is, we have to take a short history lesson, a history detour. So the suit itself is born in England. So its universal uptake around the world actually masks humble traditional folk origins. In the 1800s, London men wore the lounge suit precursor, which is the long frock coat. But unlike on the continent, royals, gentry and aristocrats held country life, not the city, as their ideal, right? So for sport, for hunting, for leisure and for status. This way of being called for a rugged garment. They had no such thing. So where did they look? Tweed was a rugged wool, a rural working man's garment. The Scots didn't come up with tweed. Tweed is simply twill wool. Tweed as a label was made up by a Scottish merchant. It's twill. Before the Industrial Revolution, tweed was all homespun wool. That's what it is. Big groups of people would be together, part of this manufacturing. They usually did it from a home workshop where the woman would spin the wool and the, the man would use the loom. The twill was weaved in England as well. And the best of it was shared from the rugged borderlands breed, the Cheviot sheep, an English sheep, driven over the border till the Scots started to use it. Cheviot wool was fitted to the rugged conditions and so were the earthy colours of this folk twill. The Northumbrian shepherds, though, have the first tartan. These are Englishmen on the borderlands. That tartan, it predates dyes. It's black because its colours are based on a black and a white. The sheep were, they'd be anything from greens, dark greens, browns and uh, yellows in the white. So you can see with that, it's the colour of the landscape that would camouflage them into it as well. And not only shepherds wore it. And now Northumbrians, North Englishmen, that's their tartan. The Percy family, the Duke of Northumberland, makes this the official tartan of Northumberland. And that's not a clan, that's a region by being selected for that. I think even 100 years before Walter Scott was born, the 18th century. And Northumbrians to this day wear this as a kilt and a tartan and as hats. It's their regional tartan which is also could be, could be considered a tweed. A Celt's tribe is his clan, an Englishman's clan is his region, because the Englishman's tribe is all Englishmen. So you can see that as a regional being, but also the estate tweeds represent that and the spirit of the landscape. And we see this as when a lord becomes a peer, he's supposed to lose his own name and, and take the name of the place or region uh, that he takes up. Also, this land that lords had, these estates that were... They had all these people in their employ that wore the estate tweeds too. That land was eventually sold to yeoman freeholders. And so this tweed and the estate tweeds are linked to laws, but their origins are deeply embedded in this rural folk and this rural way of being. So the Scots did become known for tween manufacture after the Industrial Revolution. It's a modern marketing thing. And even tartans and tweeds were made on machine looms in Yorkshire at the same time Scots were making them. And the Scots got all their equipment and machine techniques from the Yorkshiremen who were doing wool there. But what the English have on top of this is that they selected them. The Englishmen who went to the Scottish estates, they owned the estates and selected these tweeds. And then the actual thing that is the tweed suit is selected by English, lifted by the king, as I talk about. The people that make the garments and cutters are English. Tweed as a material is also English. Overall, though, Tweed suit, shooting jackets, rat catcher, which the fox hunters uh, wore, which they got from the rural rat catcher. These, these cavalrymen, flat caps, they're English, English country wear, folk wear. Then later becomes the exclusive English country wear that we know today, amongst other things like barber. But how does this happen? Well, back to our English sportsmen. 
Frock coats were real fitted, like I said, to the uh, rugged nature of the country. The hard riding, the muddy stalking, the wind, the rain. Royals, gents, sportsmen interacted with rural folk out in the rural place. Workers, rat catchers, trappers, they all wore this rugged tweed garment. Then something interesting happens. This folk garment goes up the hierarchy. As time passes, sportsmen, royals, and in particular the future king at that time, Prince of Wales, Edward VII, discovered not only was it fitted for the rugged tasks of his sport, but it actually improved their hunting itself. Tweed, then, is already wrapped up in a whole context of life that is the country. It's used for all the ways of country life. But adding to that, these hunters, over time, these sportsmen, the lords, royals, gents, had weavers make the patterns even better at blending them into the landscape. And these patterns survive to this day. They were given to all the rural people that worked in the Lord's employ. So what you see in that is a kind of mutual unfolding and participation in the honing of this microcosmic key of the countryside macrocosm. But before we move off this history, though, before we go too deeply into it, we have to recognize the royal function in all this. In the mythos, in Robin Hood, and all through history, the king finds what is fitted to the English way of being, the value hierarchy. He lifts what is seen as low and not recognized. He lifts it up, makes it high, what's considered low. And you see this in the Order of the Garter, in the royal motto. It's, the, uh, it's a sin to think ill of it. It's the, the story, of course, we know is that the garter falls off a woman's leg and he lifts it up and then everyone else begins wearing a garter the next day because the king says it's an evil to think ill of it. It's a demonstration of his spiritual function. You see it in Robin Hood. You see it in the king incorporating Robin into the kingdom after he's done good. Because Robin is part of the Greenwood. He's in the wild like the folk of this tweed. Like the folk that this tweed comes from. Robin in his Greenwood does a good for the kingdom. It's noticed by the king when the king goes out unawares into the kingdom and then sees that this is of noble birth, actually. This, it's of the divine hierarchy and lends his stamp to it. We see this now as a modern thing, this stamping. is The Prince of Wales and the king give warrants to exceptional providers that provide for the household, but they may display that in public. So it means that it lifts this thing up as this is the ideal. And that ideal is assessed by the king themselves with their education of the moral order, with their understanding of the ways of being and the mythos. That's how it's supposed to be anyway. It's been degenerated. But that's the point of a royal warrant. They have something in their being, whatever it is, the barber these and the, the manufacturers of these things that makes them more than just utility. And so they're lifted and brought into the context and tell us the story. They're not just some random invention. They're then part of English being because it's recognized by the king, who is the high priest this really well maps part of the spiritual function or the spiritual case for a king it's imbuing appropriate value with a touch of the sacred this is the sanctification making things not merely objects but part of the context of a people and a nation and a story what the king did with tweed was give it its appropriate position and touched it with his authority as son of the kin he saw it as part of the kin's being he named its value but it was already there emergent in something implicitly loved and a part of the folk and a part of the landscape so with all this history in mind we must bore into our theme now and question what is tweed's essence how and why is it the englishman's killed so let's go beyond the material in use to ask what is the metaphysics of tweed is to ask two questions what is tweed's essence what is its ground in itself and what is what is sent from that essence and ground, what constitutes what is present to us in it and all the relations that make it possible once sent from that ground. 
If we take it as clothing, equipment, it's merely instrumental, a thing in order to achieve some willed outcome and nothing valued in itself. The dominant utility wear, North Face, is the perfect example of this. It's the ultimate equipment. And we see this everywhere, people wearing this North Face stuff everywhere. It's nothing but pure tool. Nothing in itself but your will end. It's completely invisible. Yet why do some people still choose to wear this more expensive twee that, if anything, offers less utility than North Face? They both keep you warm. They both suit the rugged outdoors. Yet something of twee's value is different from that. It's higher. Something is unequipmental about it. So if we take twee's essence as material realness, it means we take what makes twee true as real material. Material equals essence of tweed, equals truth, truth of tweed. But a counterfeit coin is just as real as a true coin. It's even made of the same material. So something else gives truth to a thing beyond material realness then. Something stamps a true coin with authority. This is tweed's essence, it's truth. And this truth is beyond utility and the material. The clue is in its color and the feeling of rightness that leads you to choosing it over utilitarian wear or wanting it. If we remove utility, what's left of tweed, some sort of value for its own sake, something in historical being, the land, the people. Yes, something survived in this tweed that is kind of humble echo of sanctified England, folk and king. It has order in it, a virtue. We like the look of it. Something about it draws us, draw Tolkien and people like that. Why? What and where is, is this order that makes it fit, that makes it feel right? Because something being right is order. It's something that's ordered. What is that right that made it fit for us to like it? No one created it as fashion. This is before that. Advertisements, Ralph Lorenz. Any pop culture or affluent cheap imitations, what founded the value in the first place? The king and the folk founded this value. This sense of fitting, rightness and good, we feel, is tweed aligning with the English value hierarchy, though, in us and in being. But where is this order nested that is imbued in the tweed, in the English and in England itself? We have to get into the world frame of the people that made the, the tweed before we foisted upon them and us this utilitarianism that sees everything as material. The best way to do that is to get before, to get underneath the concepts and the ideas. And so we look quickly at the Greeks then. For the Greeks, demos means the folk, the people, those that dwell with one another in their shared being with, in a shared frame. For the Greeks, their artisans and their craftsmen were called demiurgos, those who produce everything for the sake of the demos, this folk, that was the drive, not to make money. And Demiurgos is both the name for the craftsman, but also the thing that, that brings all creation into being. These words all have the same dem root, so they're all connected, because they all speak of this being with of the folk. So when they made something, they brought forth the idea which they had, which wasn't theirs so much. It was They subscribed to it, but it was prescribed the way they considered it, from God, from being itself. As we talked about earlier, you can see with as from the land. So it's in mind, and they what they're doing with wood or a piece of material is to bring forth the idea, pushing, almost pushing forward in the manufacture. They're bringing the idea that's in them, 
so it can shine forth from the object itself. So it's not just a piece of material. It's being brought form into form into connection with this idea that isn't theirs, that comes from overarching telos, the context, God. We have a word that is like this, demiurgos, which is wheelwright, wheelwright or frame maker. And that fits really well because you're in a frame, overarching context. We are always inframed inside a wheel, inside a circle. The people that made the tweed are the same. They bring forth something that is a part of their world and tied to it intrinsically. Every tweed jacket is connected to this demos, this being with of the community. And wearing it, of course, brings you into attunement with that. Kipling said in his verse, I am the land of my fathers and neither virtue stays. The hours, the days, the seasons will order their souls aright. What does it mean for land to stay virtue? It means country is the dwelling place which has, possesses, stays the essence of good English virtual, virtual order. Stays it. Holds it. Kipling finishes, the hours, the days, the seasons will order their souls aright. This land is, a ma- is the macrocosmic good order. The Englishman is the microcosm, or is to be the microcosm of that order. Something in it, the value in it, is to order his soul. The tweed is the key and the symbol, the welcomer to this macrocosm and virtual order. A landscape is a cultivated place that has been imbued and ordered with what the Englishman values. There was a reciprocal uprising of English form and value between them as they emerge. As we have seen, the tweed is also a microcosm of the country itself, its look, its color, a mediator between the half-wildness of the country and the disordered, unvirtuous, perhaps disordered Englishman who wishes to dwell in the place that is his soul and reorder. It fits the man and it fits the fabric of the land. Fabric as in the land has a fabric itself. It touches both sides like a symbol. And we'll make that clear as we go on. This tweed's earthy source is from the hardy Cheviot sheep. The Cheviot sheep is bred on the English borderlands and feasts on the grass of English countryside, making its wood, its wool, perfectly suited to keep the sheep warm and protected in this rocky, cold environment. The sheep gives its gift of protection to us. The suit is given form by the Englishman who saw its need and fitted its form to the needs of place and his ways and his countrymen's ways. Made in that region by hands which are of that region, fed on English stock and land. This weaver. The tweed's color is pastoral of the region, camouflaging rural workers and hunters alike, aiding them in their efforts to hunt vermin and game. You wear it and you belong to English space. The land's cultivated context, the cold, the people, and their ways, the rain, the sharp brambles, the muddy soil. You belong because they don't hold you back resist you, cut you, make you cold or make you stand out to others because you you don't look like you're of their ways when you arrive. The tweed essences in its invisible mediation giving the land to you and you to the land and the people of the land in unresistance and reveals your potential to be English order. The tweed allows your sight of the being of the landscape more readily by removing necessity, cold, protection, and you understand it as sanctified. The English countryside reveals its true form, something we already value deep down, something that was consecrated long ago, this form. It still affects us without our knowledge of it. it it's, what, it's part of this, this feeling of rightness. If you don't know anything about it, this might all sound like it's up here or away, but you couldn't talk about it like this. There wasn't something there. 
Tweed retains something of the past yet persisting, true way of being. It brings us closer to the source, which means it has a telos, well beyond your ends and well. Telos is a context under a grand purpose that constitutes, constitutes a world frame, stitches it together, but connected not as a representation. This jacket fits a traditional context like the vestments of a priest in the context of a church and biblical mythos. But this is unsaid and implicit, this, this story, especially the way we look at the world now. People think that they like English country wear because it's fashion, but that was valuated not by any industry. It came out of the land as appropriate, had a folk being, and it was lifted up by the king and sanctified with a touch of the divine stamped with authority like a true coin is stamped with an emperor's face this tweed this landscape countryside is stamped with the over king's countenance as william blake talks about did the countenance divine shine forth upon england's mountains green it is there the countenance it's that's the countenance the visage the face is the value it's these structures the pattern of this english angel you could call it Unbeknownst to you, when you wear the tweed, you wear it for the sake of English being and its true ground. A being which sent this echo from the source to you to make it feel right to wear. The same being that drove Tolkien and C.S. Lewis to wear such things. What is this telos in tweed that makes it true? Let's get a better sense of it. This truth in tweed that makes it true tweed is tweed's conformity to the valued historical being for its own sake. The country is valued for its own sake. That means the tweed's essence is the countryside, the true English virtual order. It's the source that makes it what it is ultimately. The country's being has been lifted up as an extension of the temple, given form by English hands and lifted into the hierarchy, connected to the divine and sacred by English kings. We know this. We know all these people f give their money to English heritage to retain this thing. This is a negation of their own responsibility, though, but there's something they feel that's there. It's underneath, authentically. That's why they actually give the money when they really should actually do it themselves. But that's a clue to what we're talking about. One feels this attunement, this rightness. It feels right. It feels right in a way that is an heirloom, that an heirloom feels right to display on a hearth, over the mantelpiece, over the fire. That's the way it feels right when you really think about it, when you wear it. Right with historical being. What has been still is. We wouldn't be talking about this if it was still not part of our existential being. To wear it is to anoint the man as English, with Englishness, or at least the first step to open the key to the gate of it, a vestment of dwellingness and belonging. What does it mean to, to welcome, though, to anoint and to welcome? Because you wear it and you welcome yourself to the land. It seems silly, though, when you say it that way. When you wear the tweed, you make yourself welcome to the English context, place, and country. And etymologically, it means one whose coming suits another's will and way. That's what to be welcome means. It's to bring yourself into conformity with, to suit the will of the others who dwell there and the way of the others who dwell there. This is because the suit belongs to the way of being. They notice you fit. They're not thinking he's made you himself welcome. It's just a sense they get. And you're not a threat to them. You know at least this rule, the beginning rule. You are of kind, of kin. You belong. It's well that you have come. It doesn't represent the landscape, this tweed. To conform to something isn't merely to look like it. It's not an ungrounded copy of something. Con means connected. 
Its form is connected to the world being countryside. It still is in the way it, in its referential strata, in its referential uh, structure, it touches and still does. So to say that Tweed, the true Tweed, is a landscape is not whimsical poetry. It's tied up in its relations to the actual that places order and attunement is with it. Part of its essence that makes it what it is. This analysis is no rambling. It's only possible because this relation, all I see will ring untrue without some connection to this ground. Let's try to poetically unfold this, this essence further. So backward goes our gaze. We come to the borderlands that has been. Northumberland's hunts and harvests, rocky dales and fields, its seasons, its rains, its damp, bone-piercing colds. They all gather in the English weaver's workshop, back, back in time, and allow this weaver to gather the tweed's form forth before he's even weaving it, in his being and his mind, when it's first made, in its suiting fitting to the land's being and to the Englishman who wears it. It fits them both. This idea, its form is attuned to the being of the land, the future, and the past, and the earth, and the gods, God. Their macro context makes the thing what it is, a microcosm mediator of English being. The weavers fed with mutton from the field weave the wool, and colour with the dyes marked of English place. They weave the being of the land. Forward goes our gaze. An Englishman puts on his tweed coat. He walks out into the field on a cold winter's morning, the rain, the frosty roads, the thick fog and biting cold, the sharp brambles, the wary kin on lookout for the un-English, all prepared to resist the man who enters unprepared and unkinned, unkind. But all give way to he who approaches with careful regard, with understanding, who has taken the steps to belong. In his ways and his tweed he arrives, and the rain casts no doubt on him. The folk cast no stone, the cold casts no daggers. All is absorbed and mediated into the thick tweed. He passes the hedges and brambles, but they cut him not. He walks across the field and the farmer tips his hat. This person is being akin. This weaver's effort may welcome the wearer. His efforts bring the wearer into attunement so he can dwell with the virtue of the land, this growing ancestral historical being. begins to see it's not his possession, it's something else. This land, though, this not material lands, the in-betweenness of all of it. He doesn't own it. It owns him. To claim ownership and founding of this higher soul, divine has divorced us from the ground of meaning and this ancestral being that has turned away from us. So what happens when we wear it outside the country in this modern age, in this grey? When you wear this tweed, it means you take the first step towards English virtue, unlocking with a key this mediator wearing it outside the country what does that mean it means you carry the land and virtue order as armor as anchor of divine telos into modern hell like a cosmonaut does into the void of space in his spacesuit because the tweed is from the halfway place not why not wild not city the country it can be brought anywhere as anchored order if you know none of these things you carry this value unawares if you wear the tweed to wear this tweed now is to call and hold to stay the order, the staid virtue, what is authentic and shouldn't be under the, this inauthentic modern confusion of the false regime technocratic order. It's to call out towards this authenticity that it's connected to. It's authenticity of what has been and what is with you still and us still, if we can clear what's over it. It's to project some gold that you have 
as the radical subject, as gold held fast in the land and in you, this gold within that they have not corrupted, is to forward throw this intention in its subtle way and value, to forward throw it into the world, to make possible this subtle way of being in the hostile world, to hold it safe, to show that this holds sway within and is still accessible to the few. It's to assert and to demonstrate that this context, modernism without tradition, is the alien, not the man in the tweed, not the man with the gold within, or at least the man with the potential to have the gold within. It's to quietly assert an ancestral being, an ancestral being's will over the darkness that holds sway over us. It is to fit, to be akin to the ancestral authentic being, not the semblance that cover, covers us like ooze and muck and always pulls us back into this dark embrace. To wear such a thing is to draw the rightness feeling of the kin, but also to draw the ire and hate of the creatures possessed by the grey demon. They are the nothing people, those without all gold and light within, those that seek to snuff out what Tweed is or what Tweed calls to. It's the first thing. So it seems simple on its outside. To wear it is to hold the candle protected, to quietly kindle its ascent. And while there, what comes next? Perhaps to use it as a waystone to find others with that gold. But that's it. There is one final thing I need to address, and that's Ralph Lauren. This English country where, like I said, is connected to the kin and king. This exploiter, this Ralph Lauren, he stole English cultural wear, and his degenerate quote really says it all. It's dress English, think ask. I, I couldn't think of a better quote that represents a more degenerate way of thinking. A key is only a key. It's neither the door nor the thing it accesses. To do something like that only has one purpose, to make it look like you obey their order and not obey that order for your own advantage. This has nothing to do with what ask thinking is. It's simply the fact of the deception of this Ralph Lauren. And I only mention it because it's to do with English country wear, which is this tweed. Guy Ritchie went on Joe Rogan and repeated this quote as if it's some bloody wisdom. Is it dress English, think, ask? I would say to him that you're no Englishman, mate. You're a damn fool. And you should, should disavow this completely. Because this, what that's saying is, is to not be virtually ordered, like I've articulated here, within, as your appearance says, to something else. You're worshipping the deception, which is no big surprise because you come from Hollywood, mate. But since you're back in England, maybe you should recant this. Dress English. Think English. And the first steps of having this virtual, virtual English order is to... Look into these things. God bless you. Dare greatly to believe. God save the over king.